Hello and welcome to the Octopus Revenue Podcast. This is an educational and informative podcast series all about hotel revenue management. We have some great discussions for you in each episode to give you insights and tips on all of the major issues facing us in the hospitality industry. It's no revelation to any of you that COVID-19 has had a major impact on our industry. The big question is though, how do we bounce back and how do we do it safely? We want to help you get an understanding of what's going on and how those of us in the revenue management community can effectively and proactively respond and plan for recovery. There's never been a better time to share ideas and pass on knowledge to support one another because the road out of this might be long, but we're all on that road together. In this episode, I'm joined by Rachel Jones, Regional Director of Revenue Management at Interstate Hotels and Resorts. We will hear Rachel's views around how social distancing measures will impact the ability to optimise revenue and her thoughts around big brands versus independents. I enjoyed hearing Rachel's sincerity as she gives an honest account of the challenges she has faced. Hi Rachel, great to have you join us today. Hi Sarah, good to see you. Just for the listeners, Rachel, would you mind just giving us a brief overview of your role in the company? Yes, certainly. Um, So I work for Interstate Hotels and Resorts, which is a a management company operating multiple hotels in both the UK, Europe and into the Russia division. And I'm one of the regional directors of Revenue, uh, looking after a group of 17 hotels, um, driving their revenue strategy with our area revenue management teams and the on-property teams. And are they all branded? Because I know Interstate have got um, a couple of independents. Is your patch all brands or... Yes, at the moment, the patch I'm working with is all branded, but we do get involved with the wider um, estate and we have a, a variety of different brands, but also some independent properties within within that mix as well. So I do primarily branded at the moment, but I have done independent in the past and I still touch on it now and again. So cast your mind back four months, which may feel like a lifetime ago now, we were seeing images of the devastation caused by covid um, we didn't have really back then a grasp of how badly our industry would be impacted. I mean, nobody could have predicted this. No, not at all. I remember back in February and I was at a general manager's conference and I was given a presentation around uncertainty. And that at that point was very much focused around Brexit. And although coronavirus was sort of being touched on and it was on the cards, it was in its very early days. And we had no indication at that point of, what it might do and that it would shut down the entire country to those levels. And I remember about maybe two weeks after that conference, I had a, a call with our owners and he is based in the States. And he pretty much said to us, you know, we need to put occupancies at 20, 30% for the rest of the year. And that's how I see this panning out. And we really didn't believe what he was saying or where he was gauging that information and that, that experience on. And we, you know, we ran with it, um, but didn't probably didn't truthfully believe what he was saying. And yet here we are four months later and actually, you know, his predictions at that point have been very much true, if not ambitious, I guess, but to a certain degree. Has he made any other predictions since? Um, y- yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he keeps telling me my forecast is wrong and that it's going to be more than it is. And he has been right so far, which is really, uh, really frustrating. But in a good way. So how have you coped yourself with lockdown and what's been your biggest challenges? Uh, for me personally, the biggest challenge has been at home, being 
at home 24-7. I'm used to being out on the road and in hotels and working with the teams and working with my team. You know, and that's been my life for the last 12 or 13 years with, uh, with Interstate. And to suddenly find myself sat at one desk with no travel, as has everybody, um, has been very difficult to adjust to. And I previously was not a fan of home working. Um, I had to find discipline, uh, and that was that was tough in the early days. But from a more business perspective, I think you know there's been two real challenges. One has been around around our people and our teams, and the the decisions that we've had to make very quickly um, to keep the business going. And you know the the furlough scheme, obviously from the government, was a, a huge benefit and godsend that we, as everybody has done, have had to take advantage of. But making those decisions about which of our team members would stay and remain in the business and who we had to deliver that news to about, you know, asking them for the good of the, the business and the longer term outlook to step back has been really difficult because they're a very engaged team and clearly nobody wanted wanted to be in that position. So that was very difficult, as has the speed at which things have changed over the you know, over the past four months, we've the guidance, the transition from, um, you know, full trading to potentially closed hotels to reopening for key workers and everything that came in between that um, has been very, very challenging. And a, a colleague of mine said, you know, when she had some team members coming back from furlough that you should start every day with a plan, but just accept that by 10 o'clock in the morning, that plan will have changed. And that really sums up for me how these past four months have been is that you really any plan you put in place invariably changes on a daily basis. Definitely the work from home situation has been a challenge for most people. I mean for us we've worked remotely for the past six, six and a half years and I can honestly say I don't think I've actually gotten used to it after all of that time. I, I completely agree it's you know we are in a people industry and that's why we joined it and many of us started our careers on the front desk or, you know, with lots of face-to-face contacts, but to remove that completely and, and do everything via telephone or Zoom is alien to us. Um, but we have adapted and I think, you know, technology has really been brought to the forefront of what you can do remotely and has helped us on this journey for sure. Definitely has. And how have you kept yourself up to date um, and your team up to date with trends over the last few months? Uh, do you know what's been really good? It's been so much available online from an educational standpoint. We've, you know, we've divided and conquered, I guess. Um, we've all joined different webinars and online training or online presentations from various different sectors of the industry. Um, many of that is, which of that has been around consumer sentiment and how that has changed and progressed throughout the course of the pandemic. So we've had to revert to that type of um, learning and use of data for trends because anything that we have in our business historically is pretty much redundant for the for the time being until we get to some you know, some element of normality whatever that looks like in the coming months but yeah so we've reverted to uh, to using the skills that are out there of our colleagues and counterparts and the industries I mean revenue managers absolutely love historical data and it's going to be really strange now for us to actually disregard this information. So I'm not sure how the traditional revenue manager will cope now without that security blanket of past data trends to work from. Uh, I think we'll struggle um, as, you know, 
by our nature, we we like detail and that's what we do. You know, we somebody else makes a, a statement or a decision and we go back and find the data to, to, to verify that or back up that decision. So I think you're absolutely right. Not having that data available to us anymore means that we have to think very differently and, and that's not in our nature. It doesn't come natural to us. So we are going to be pushed out of our comfort zone a little bit. Um, but we've we've embraced that over the last two, three months. And, you know, we have to use each other and what we are experiencing across the region, um, take learnings from where we've opened hotels, maybe in different parts. So, for example, the Russian hotels are open earlier or the European hotels didn't close down completely. So we can take learnings and experience from them and, and they become our new sources of data. It's just data in a different way. And you mentioned that Interstate operate in multiple markets across the UK, Europe and beyond. Where do you see the green shoots and what markets do you think are going to rebound first? From a, from a leisure perspective and a staycation perspective, you know, everybody is saying that that is where the focus needs to be for 2020 as people don't necessarily have the ability to travel internationally. So there's naturally going to be a tendency towards the coastal areas or the rural areas that the areas of, you know, outstanding beauty, for example. So for us in the UK, our hotspots are expected to be uh, on the coast, which for us is Blackpool, Eastbourne, Bournemouth, for example. And I think we are starting already to see a little bit of that coming through, although it's still really early days. And until we get some confirmation from the government on a on a on an opening date, I mean, everybody is working to the fourth of July, but that is still not set in stone. Uh, I think we are we are planning for those hotels to be particularly. Um, buoyant or the ones that come back strongest quickest we're seeing similar trends if you go into Europe so we we operate mainly in uh, France Belgium and the Netherlands and the the one hotel that is coming back stronger than any uh, in the short term is in The Hague which although is a city um, is only 20 minutes from the beach so what we've seen over the last month is where there have been bank holidays um, German bank holidays particularly the Germans have still travelled and they've taken advantage of that. They've come to The Hague, which is a, a great weekend destination for them. And, and they've headed off to the coast and used The Hague as a base. And that's, you know, so we're seeing the same sort of trends in those European hotels as we are expecting to see in the UK from all of the sort of the research that's come out and has been available to us. So you've just mentioned the 4th of July is the date that everyone is gearing up to. But alongside that, there's a lot of discussions around the two metre rule as it stands um, and especially I think as we see variances to this rule across other European countries so needless to say this is going to have a huge impact on outlet revenue and also a customer's willingness to actually book. So what are your thoughts around this? Um, I think it's you know everybody is is desperate for some guidance from the government as to to whether the two metre rule stays in place and if so for how long and as an industry we absolutely need that and we need it both internally for our own businesses but we think we also need it to drive demand into locations so you know the city centre locations you know the main reason for people to travel into those areas is to go into the bars and the restaurants and the shops for example and you know if they become um, inaccessible or they're restricted capacities then it it has a knock-on effect on our ability to sell cities as the leisure destination. So I think there's, there's an impact of it 
um, secondhand from, from our perspective. And then we've got challenges, obviously, within within our own operation. And, you know, one of the examples that we are currently working through at the moment is around our hotel in Blackpool, who have 130 bedrooms, but have a sleeping capacity of near 400. So we have restrictions, um, or, you know, the space available in their breakfast room, uh, dining space, just will not allow for that level of sleepers with a two metre social distancing rule in place. Now, as one of the hotspots that we are expecting to come back, we clearly want to capitalise on the bedroom revenue, but we are having to make considerations for whether or not we need to restrict the number of overall sleepers because we can't service the food and beverage element of it. And in this particular hotel, breakfast is an inclusive product. It's a branded hotel. So you can't make that an option for the guests. So where it comes to, you know, service areas like breakfast, which is, you know, it's functional rather than it being an experience. People don't come for the experience of breakfast. Then we are considering extending our current policy of a grab and go breakfast or a room service only breakfast so that the two metre distancing rule doesn't come into play and doesn't impact our ability to fully sell and fully optimise our revenue from room side of the business. But then if you take the, um, the other extreme of that, so the the more destination-led hotels or destination restaurants, such as a, a Marco Pierre White in a Hotel Indigo, then clearly that's a very different proposition and the, the two-metre rule, rule will be a, a massive hindrance for us there and severely impact revenues. You know, we make our money in those properties on a Friday and a Saturday night and if we can have to cut capacity by 50-60% as a minimum, you know, it, they just won't become profitable businesses in the, in the short term. So... You know, it's a real challenge for the industry and uh, it will be interesting to watch this space. And I think as you, as you referenced, the two metre rule varies. So in, in some of the European hotels, it's one and a half metres. So it is different to go through. And I guess the one metre rule would be a, a far more favourable proposition for us. Um, and, you know, meetings and events is the other area, which is big for some of our properties. And that clearly puts a, a risk a restriction on the number of um, or the size of event that we can host. And whilst we don't know what the, the government guidance on mass gatherings is going to be for the foreseeable, you know, we, we still have to think about can we still host a meeting even for 20 people in a normal room? Probably not. So we've been working on what those numbers look like, what those capacities look like. And as a, as a byproduct of that, how we have to then price and change our thought process around pricing because the cost element, if anything, is increasing, and yet your delegate numbers are probably going to be reduced significantly. So it's a big work stream and um, one that has a lot of questions and still a lot of unanswered, um, a lot of unanswered questions still. And it's whether the demands there for those smaller meetings um, unlikely in the in the near future or for the remainder of this year, if we're being honest. I think I think you're right. I think it's definitely small meetings only and and, and essential meetings you know people are not traveling to meetings for sales meetings and things like that you know what the demand that we are seeing come through is around health and safety meetings or where people are putting training for new protocols so in some ways they also have an indirect um, correlation to the COVID-19 pandemic and the training people around that so yeah definitely small meetings for the foreseeable 
And we mentioned um, just before um, the portfolio for interstate, so very much brand led, but there are, you know, the odd independent um, in the mix. So once hotels start to reopen their doors, do you see the brands winning first over and above the independent properties? That's a good question, Sarah. I've got mixed views on it. I think in the early days, the brands will come out on top. I think the brands give people confidence, consumer confidence around their own personal safety, the processes and practices that they put into place, and also flexibility. Um, And perhaps confidence that their money is safe if they are booking non-refundable rates, which I, I know is not where people's heads are at right now, but if some people are still doing that, knowing that they will probably get more flexibility from a big brand on those bookings is key. So I think in the early days, for sure, the brands will have an advantage. But as as we go through the process and you know perhaps people become more accept, accepting of the situation, then the independents have a real opportunity here to shine. Um, they can be much more creative than the brands ever will be. They have you know a real personalization approach that they can they can do. They can have a speed to market much quicker than you can with the brands where there are there's often a lot of red tape. Um, so I think if the independent hotels you know, play their cards right, they can really capitalise on this and, and come out on top in the sort of mid to longer term, definitely. So I, I think now we're at a stage where hotels are trying to get their head around what level of demand they can expect, especially now in the early stages of reopening. How do you think this will impact pricing? <clears throat> and what advice would you give to hotels who might be struggling how to plan out their pricing strategy in preparation for reopening? I think, you know, this is going to be a really difficult time to to put your pricing strategy into place. It's it's most definitely the unknown. We've never been here before. Uh, we couldn't have even envisaged it. So it is like starting with a very blank page and everybody opening their properties at the same point, which clearly would never happen in, in any other, under any other circumstances. So we really don't have any guidance and what to do we are recommending to our properties that they they go back to a bit of basics and they start to do some evaluation on their competitors and their price positioning in the market but you know rating these on a price value matrix and instead of it being against your traditional elements which might be around product or service or facilities turning that on its head a little bit and and putting that price proposition against the things that are important to our customers today in this in this crisis in this pandemic so things around as we've mentioned already the health and safety element of it what is that hotel doing to make you feel safe as a customer and how are they communicating with you what is their um you know car parking for example becomes even more important because people don't necessarily want to use public transport or they're being encouraged to use private transport so that becomes a bigger a bigger factor so everything around um, that type of, uh, which isn't isn't the norm, things that we don't necessarily put as much emphasis on, becomes ever more important in your pricing decisions. So it's I think it's going to be trial and error. There is a real danger of hotels getting into a price war, as we know, and everybody knows that it doesn't necessarily stimulate demand. But the reality is when everybody is in the same boat fighting for very little business, people will end up competing. And what we need the brands to do is to 
keep some integrity and try and keep the market at a relatively level position and not drag people down. But I think proof will be in the pudding over the next two or three months when we open as to how that, you know, how that transpires and pans out and who's brave enough to, uh, to ride the storm. And I think you've got to be more creative and find different ways other than retail pricing to fill some of that, some of that base business and utilize, you know, pricing by market segment is going to be ever more important uh, so that you can, you know, fill the funnel at the top through different channels. Flexibility is key. Um, it's a key message out to customers just now. So for me, this adds more of a risk to the business in terms of the actual business on the books is less safe um, if it can be cancelled. So how can a hotel go about putting together a realistic forecast on the basis that there's a higher percentage of business on the books that could be cancelled at short notice? I think I think the, the most commonly used phrase around forecasting at the moment is whatever we put in, it will be wrong. <laughs> I think that's pretty much that that goes with every forecast that we submit. But, you know, the focus on that forecast will become ever more um, prevalent over as, as we reopen properly, fully. Um, so whilst we've maybe had a little bit of um, grace over the last few weeks, that, that will probably go very quickly once we're back into a, a relatively normal uh, trading environment. It will be difficult because you don't have, as you said, you, you just have no idea where that demand is going to come from and, and no data to base it on. So I think that that is first and foremost the biggest problem. The flexible element and, and the fact that some of the business that we have on the books is not necessarily secure adds a different level of complexity to, to writing a forecast. I think it's important that the team or the, the person responsible for, for compiling that truly understands what the makeup of that business on the books is you know, because there's a lot of business in our properties that has still is still there from pre-COVID. It's not new business; it's old business that still sat, sits there. And for me, that that is almost a greater risk of cancelling than the new business that's coming through now, even if the new business is on a flexible policy. Because I think right now, people who are booking are booking because they've got an intent to travel, and it would take something you know, significant like a second wave or the cancellation of a big event to to cause enough of a, a sort of a rush in cancellations for that to be a, a huge issue in forecasting terms. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but I think individually, individual cancellations probably is, is less of a risk um, as we go forward, you know, with people wanting to travel. And if, they, if they've gone to the effort of making that booking, unless something really prevents them, think as I say I think the intent is there so for me it's understanding the business that's existing that was pre-covid what the risk is around that yeah I mean there's definitely going to be more of an element of risk in the forecast in terms of what might drop out but then on the flip side especially with the leisure market we don't understand um, the lead days as of yet so we could very well get a lot of last minute bookings for that leisure domestic leisure customer which obviously will impact the forecast in a, in a positive way. Yeah. I, you know, even before all of this, you know, if you think to those coastal properties, you know, and we've operated hotels in, in the likes of Brighton in, in years gone by, and a good weather forecast, you know, on Wednesday of that week can absolutely have a huge influence on their weekend business because 
you know, using Brighton as that example, if the forecast is good on a Tuesday or Wednesday, there's a mass upsurge in demand from like Londoners, city London city uh, dwellers that want to get in the car on a Friday afternoon and come to Brighton for the weekend. And we used to see that on a regular basis. And you know, part of their strategy was around the forecast. And you know, you know, we had to be sort of in touch with the Met Office almost on a on a daily basis to think, right, well, what impact is that going to have going forward? And I think with staycations, that is going to be, you know, we don't have the best weather climate in the world and uh, that will be key for some of those coastal destinations where people can go with a very short, uh, you know, within maybe an hour or two hours journey time. So you've mentioned um, large events there. I mean, I don't think there's anything left in the events calendar at all now for 2020. We, we've we've seen large city events cancel one after the other, um, not just here, but across multiple markets, which obviously has a huge bearing on hotel performance. How can hotels manage to the best of their ability now in a situation like this? Yeah, I think I think as the events started to cancel, uh, you know, back in February, March, there was a an expectation that some of those would be, uh, they, they would go ahead, but they would go ahead maybe into quarter four uh, in 2020. But as you say, I think that's highly unlikely now. And, and certainly those that were postponed and, and pushed back to Q4, if they haven't already been subsequently cancelled, I think they will be because there's been absolutely no no guidance yet on the, on the mass gathering piece. So for me, we were almost writing 2020 off from an events perspective and it's all about 2021 for us and how we optimize those events here because we are likely to have um significantly increased number of events because you've got your traditional 2021 events and of course everything that was maybe displaced or postponed it's also about one of our key focuses being to try and retain that customer from a 2020 event where it's been either moved to 2021 or if it's an annual event, it's been cancelled, but they've got a date for next year already. And that's been uh, important from a cash flow perspective where there have been prepaid rates. You know, over event periods, clearly there's usually a premium in price. So having to refund that money would be a big issue for some of our uh, hotels in, in the current you know, circumstances. So cash flow, keeping hold of that customer and transferring business to 2021 has been part of, part of our strategy. I think given we don't really have any indication of where our market rates might be for next year, then if we can keep that demand at the price point from this year, that's probably a win because there's probably more of a risk that the pricing or the, the market rates would be lower next year rather than stronger. So I think, you know, that's equally key. And it's, I guess, about keeping customer loyalty and not having to go and, you know, um, entice new customers because people have been upset with your, maybe your stance or your process around people that were trying to cancel. So we've regained or we've retained customer loyalty by letting them transfer those bookings. And, you know, some of them didn't want to do that and wanted to cancel and that's fine. So we've got space, but, and, and that's where we will optimise on that remaining space over those events. But I think one of the biggest challenges that many of the big branded hotels will face is that, you know, our inventory dates quite often only go a year out. So where events have moved to the following year, but maybe they were for September, then we're not really selling that space just yet. So 
we're trying to navigate through that and how we capitalise early and get those bookings in because those dates are currently on sale and there's a bit of pent-up demand from people who would have attended this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 2021, alongside the the sort of city events, has set to be a strong year um, on other local events, such as weddings, which have all obviously had to move into 2021 and beyond as well. I do feel for the people who had a wedding booked this year and had a wedding booked and moved it once and are then having to move it a second time. I know. I mean, that's um, pretty devastating. And, you know, couples must be erring on the side of caution now and, you know, you know, chatting to colleagues across the industry um they're seeing you know dates getting moved into 2022 and 23 um just to be on the safe side i think you know your point you made there as well about it being a bumper year for events is is really key i know you know i've got a friend who is needing to move their wedding but the problem is the venue they're in has no dates available for 2021 all the saturdays yeah so they're now looking at like off-peak days which you know, is great for the hotel and the venue, you know, fabulous to be doing, you know, weddings on non-traditional days. But for the for the bride, you know, she's now got a difficult decision to make. Does she opt for a day she doesn't want or does she postpone it for another year or does she look for an alternative? But I think there will be, um, you know, pricing will become quite key, I think, in that in that sector for, for next year. So... Definitely. I mean, if there are any Saturdays left, then surely they'll be at a premium. Yeah. So, Rachel, are you looking forward to getting your team back together when the time comes? Yes, uh, absolutely. We've, you know, we're a very close team. And, you know, whilst we speak every day with those that are in the business, we do still have a couple of team members who are, um, are on furlough and we're hoping to get them back in the next couple of weeks uh, to some degree but we can't wait for the day where we can have a, a face-to-face meeting and a glass of wine and a no social distancing and a big hug and a big thank you to say we survived and we, we got through this somehow um, and there will I think it's a you know, moment that will never be forgotten by any of us and we'll you know we'll remember this period and who we were working with at that time for, for years to come. And I think if, um, just to round off, if you could think of three positives, I mean, you've said it, you know, we'll never forget this this period of our life. If you could draw three positives at all to come out of this, what do you think they would be? Uh, I think the resilience of our people, our teams, um, is probably top of that list because they've been incredible. And that's everybody from, from the revenue management team, the wider commercial team, but to the on-property teams as well who have, dealt with you know things that they have never experienced before and have you know had to you know at times behave like clinicians and you know not hoteliers and and that's very um inspiring to see and to see them adapt so i think the resilience of our team from the very top to the very bottom is is key i think um secondly the collaboration between departments is being much stronger and I think we've got, gained a real appreciation for each other and the role they play in the organisation, particularly within our own commercial functions. So, you know, the cross between revenue, marketing and sales, which is always there, but it's it's just grown stronger and stronger over this time because it's, you know, because we've been reduced and we've been maybe crossing into each other's functions a little bit more than we would have done previously. 
but also with the commercial, uh, sorry, with the operations team because they've been key, and we, we've had to work much more closely to say this is what we want to do commercially. Can we do it operationally? Whereas that's never had to be factored in before. We used to say, don't worry about how operations deal with it. You just sell it, and they'll work it out. Whereas now we've not really been able to do that. So I think cross collaboration, secondly, and then finally, just you know, taking some learnings from how we've how we have adapted um, and putting them into our new ways of working going forward. So you know, we have learned to be effective from a remote perspective, which I think we'd maybe said wasn't possible in the past. And I think we've proved if we can get through this crisis without doing silly travel week in, week out, then we should we should learn from that. And and face to face travel will never go away for us in our organization. That's what we are, that's what we do. But we can absolutely be more um, efficient in that travel and reduce it so that we you know have more time to spend at home with your families and you know to be more effective in your working week. So I think there's some real positives that will come out of it and we need to we need to uh, record what we what we learned along the way uh, and not never forget that. I think the one that's just struck me there is the fact that we've um, it's taken this for us to learn to appreciate our colleagues just that little bit more in what they do and what they appreciate their roles. Um, Rachel, it's been great to chat to you today. Thanks for your time. And I just wanted to wish you and your team all the best for the road to recovery. Thank, thanks very much, Sarah, and to you and, and obviously your business. Um, it's been good to catch up with you. It's been a long time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Octopus Revenue Podcast. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, please subscribe so you'll be notified when we release new episodes.